Mike. Steve. You know, while we're writing season two of The Last Resort, what we should really do with our time, we could discuss the characters' favourite movies. Interesting concept, Steve, because I like movies and, well, you like movies and our characters like movies too. Then it's settled. The Last Resort Movie Club is born. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bad Scripts Movie Club, the Last Resort Movie Club. So welcome again to our co-host and Britain's brightest boxer short wearing beauty, it's Mr Mike Garlia. Hi Mike, how are you? (laughs) Hi Steve, that was a very interesting introduction then. Where were you going with that? Did you change your mind halfway through saying something? I changed my mind before I even started speaking and afterwards, and and still it was absolutely batshit crazy. So um, I've got to yeah. ask though, I've got to ask, why are you thinking about my underwear right now? This is um, um, I'd, I'd rather not answer the, that. In the amount of years we've known each other, you have never once brought that up. To your personally. underwear, my underwear, I, even uh, when we lived we, together. We have discussed your underwear on several occasions, even on this podcast. We've discussed your underwear, so. Um, we've talked about your Simpsons silk boxes and the holy ones. They, they, and... No, they they weren't they weren't silk. God, oh. no, they weren't silk. They were, I think, probably more polyester than than All anything right. else. So, you know, from from the market, you know, it, where you get five pairs for a, like a quid. Yep, I remember them very well. <laughs> um, but here's a question for you: Have you ever owned and or worn silk underpants, silk boxes? Well, I haven't, I don't think I've worn underpants since I was a child. Um, As for boxer shorts, silk ones, I don't actually own a pair of silk boxer shorts, I'm afraid, no. You didn't answer the question was, have you ever worn? Have I ever worn? um, I don't know. I can't remember. What about, have you? I think so at some point. I think there was a time during my teen years where I thought, I am the absolute dog's bollocks because I'm wearing silk underpants and all the ladies will come flocking as a result of not being able to see these silk underpants. But the confidence they will give me will be like... I I imagine that... No, I I get silk boxer shorts because they're meant to be a bit flappy and baggy. I'm struggling to connect with silk underpants. Um, Are they elasticated and they they hold everything in place? I'm just using the general term there for underwear. So, you know, box a silky pair of white fronts, like kind of yellow and green. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether the, the granny knickers in silk really do anything for anybody, but, um, <laughs> but there we go. And, but we digress. It's the movie very club. Quickly, talking very about quickly. Pants. I mean, we, we dealt with pants last, last episode, and that was Spice Girls, and that was pretty pants as far as I can tell. Um, nice smooth segue. I think we split our listeners. I think we split our listeners with that one. I think there were some um, not happy. Um, maybe some agreed. Maybe some wasn't happy. Um, it's, <laughs> and, and I think the coincidence is we we've started recording every two weeks now because we've got lots going on and we're writing a new series. Um, coincidence that that happened during the Spice Girls um, movie. That because I, I must admit I've needed a few weeks to actually get over that experience. Yeah. Um... It, it does feel very much like um, there's some form of PTSD going on from having to endure that movie. Um, ha- having said that, I have actually looked forward to tonight's movie because it, it was one of my own 
childhood favourites. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you about it, Mike, because we both independently watched this movie again recently in order to discuss it. Um, and I believe this was Daisy's choice of film. Uh, not the first person I would have thought it would be, but yeah, our wardrobe manager has provided us with um, a brief um, audio recording back in the day. So um, shall we play that now and, and see how it goes? What was that? You're asking people what my favourite movie is like? I have too many that I cannot narrow it down to one. So I'll give the last one I watched, which was Evil Dead 3, Army of Darkness. Bruce Campbell, absolutely brilliant, man. Really, really good. Loved it every second. And I cannot say any more than that. Thanks. Wow, okay. So Daisy likes a little bit of Bruce Campbell. Who knew? Who, who The big chin, the big clef. Um, he has a chin to die for. He really, really, really does. Good. He really does. Um, she, she didn't seem that enamoured with it i think she just was put on the spot a little bit from what it sounded like and was just she just chose one but still you can't take or deny the fact that um for a, for a manly specimen bruce campbell has got it all so let me just go out so this this film came out in 1993 and in true uh bad scripts fashion i'll read the synopsis but i want to give you a baseline of the films that came out in 1993 before we go into this okay so this 1993 was a good year for films. Can you guess at the top of your head, Steve, what films came out in that year? Uh, I got a feeling that uh, Jurassic Park was one of them. Jurassic Park, the biggest film of the year, the film that changed blockbuster cinema as we know it. Any uh, any other I, guesses? Uh, Ninety-three, maybe. Last Action Hero, or was that a bit earlier? It wasn't Last Action Hero. So would you like to hear a, a, a couple of films that came out? Go in for it. You tell just me. To, just Go just to it. get you back in there. Okay, so it, it was a mixture of year. You had Tom Cruise in the in the firm. That came out. Um, a weird Baldwin film called Sliver. Um, you had um, Menace to Society, if you remember that one. Indecent Proposal. Um, you also had In the Line of Fire, Tombstone, um, Alive, Super Mario Brothers, which we won't talk about. True <laughs> Romance. Should. <laughs> we should. <laughs> uh, Falling Down, Demolition Man, Jurassic Park, Coneheads, Robocop 3, um, and, uh, and amongst many, many others. But alas, yeah. we are not covering any of those. We are covering <laughs> the third installment of a trilogy that started in the 1980s, was banned as one of the first original video nasties. Arguably the only sequel in this film, despite the fact it's the third one. And as Daisy has said, we are covering Evil Dead 3, The Army of Darkness. Would you, like, would you like the synopsis? You, you can tell I'm excited because I'm doing lots of talking on this one. <laughs> Absolutely, Mike. Fire away and tell us what the internet annals tell us about... The Evil Dead 3, Army of Darkness. Well, the overview is quite interesting. And it, was, it wasn't it was critically received well, nope. but it's received a more of a cult following. It's actually, you know, it scored around 7.3 on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it is what it is. And we'll get into some of those scenes and why it's a bit crazy. 
um, on this one. But here is the overview for anyone that ha is not familiar with this trilogy. Bruce Campbell's in all three. He starred um, in The Evil Dead, the original film, uh, where a bunch of four or five teenagers go to a creepy cabin in the woods, play an archaeological tape which summons the dead, and they start to possess people. Um, it was banned. It infamously features a scene where um, a tree does some horrible things to a lady for some for some reason, probably for horror. It was then followed by Evil Dead 2, which sees Bruce Campbell return as the same character, Ash, who takes his girlfriend, for some reason, to the same creepy cabin in the woods. Now, I don't know what your thoughts on that, Steve. Is it a reboot or a sequel? Um, it is a sequel because the story does follow on. But it's almost like they've gone, we've got a bit more of a budget now. We've got a bit more of this. The first one was really well received. Let's kind of redo it, but we'll just kind of change it a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, we still had his, was it Linda, his original girlfriend? Um, Linda. She was still in there as a character. Yeah, she was still in there. So when you say change, change it up a little bit, and I'm going somewhere with this before I read this synopsis, just to kind of get our audience at speed. When you say change it a little bit, what do you mean? How do they change the format up? Well, it became a little bit more um, of a comedy horror. I think the first one had elements, very brief elements of, of comedic um, interludes, but they, I think there's a definite another level of that when we get into the, the second one, and then <laughs> even more so when we get to the <laughs> film we're about to talk, talk about today, which seemed to me to have uh, crossed the line between horror comedy to comedy horror you're the absolutely first. right I, I think i couldn't have put that any better you are spot on so the first one um maybe a tiny tiny little bit of humor but mostly for shock and an and awe and to, and to scare the audience um in the early 80s as we know it was banned the second one, they ramp up the comedy. They think, where do we go with this? Let's just make it a lot more funnier. And, and the third one, it goes all the way into spoofery, almost spoofing itself. But here's the synopsis, just to get kind of get everyone up to speed. So Ash is transported back to medieval days where he's captured by the dreaded Lord Arthur, aided by the deadly chainsaw that has become his only friend, Ash is sent on a perilous mission to recover the Book of the Dead, a powerful tome that gives its owner the power to summon an army of ghouls. And there you Ooh. go. Fantastic. It, I'm excited about it already. I've watched the movie and I'm already excited about it. Um, so let's dig in and, and talk about Army of Darkness. So it's, it's basically the end of Evil Dead Two is the beginning of, of Army of Darkness, isn't it? It's the same scene yeah, where he drops, he gets... sucked through the portal into another time, and not just in another time, but another place. He's somehow taken back to medieval England. I don't know quite how that happens, but yeah, so medieval it's England, 1300 that's... AD. Yeah, 1300 AD, medieval England. Um, we know this and because noticed... everyone talks like. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, sir, but. Um... I noticed that medieval England looks a lot like uh, Sandy, California um, in this uh, particular movie, because I thought there's, there aren't many. I mean, we're, we, we're both English guys. I mean, you live in Scotland. I live in England. Um, but I very rarely find desert areas 
um, I in, think in England. Ashby, Delazus, maybe a bit deserty at times. Um, you know, deserted, so- not deserty, deserted. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, you're absolutely right. So when the, you know, you want to get into the producers' minds with this one, say we need a location that looks a lot like England. I know the California desert will do it, and they build they built a full a full on castle out there as well. Let's not forget they built a castle yeah. with everything that you would expect castley. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that that the evil had drawn all the life out of the land and that's why it was that way you could argue that that was the story however i just believe they filmed it where they were and didn't really give two shits <laughs> about whether or not it really looked like it that wasn't the point of the movie i i i don't i don't think they went for factually accurate throughout the entire film considering and and we will talk about this considering the tools they're using the kind of technology they've got access to even back in the day is far beyond 1300 a i mean think about 1300 ad right so this is just after i don't know robin the myth of robin hood um it's 100 years past william wallace and um you know it's around the crusade so it's you know it's it's around that kind of period of time um it's yeah a few hundred years past I suppose the Roman Empire falling as well. So, um, yeah, and I think your theory on is it arid and dry because of the deadites um, is probably one that we could we could take into consideration. But it doesn't quite explain why at that moment in time the dead are are like fighting against everybody. It just never explains that they're just there. You know, it's like I don't know. Um. And maybe that's why he was pulled there. Maybe that's why he was summoned to that period, sucked through the portal because the dead were there. And that's the whole, it was accidental. The evil was taking it back to the specific time when the, the Necronomicon, the book of the dead, uh, was, um, was it its strongest maybe? Um, so Ash basically wakes up face down in the desert um, his car lands next on, on to some him. patio slabs on, on some paving slabs as well. Um, all oh, right, are, yeah, because because you're gonna say because we have we did have concrete and cement at that time, didn't they? So, um, in this strange medieval England of the desert, um, and door. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up and and gets um, a, a real warm welcome from, from the indigenous population, uh, <laughs> because they think he's. Um, a fighter for the enemy, Is that Henry. Right to say? Yeah, Henry. they think he's Duke Henry the Red. So it's between, yeah, it's it's Duke Arthur and Henry the Red. Their their tribes are warring with each other, and then does this creepy old guy? Is he Merlin? Is it is it Camelot? Well, you've got Arthur and you've got a, a wizard, but it's never stipulated as to whether. This is what they're talking about, you know. It's kind of a let's just dance around it a little bit, and you can draw your own conclusions. I think was the uh, was probably the way they were going with that one. Yeah. And then um, we also meet the other the other character at the same time, which is Sheila, and Sheila is the um, the female the female love interest. I would say we do. When when once they take him back to the castle, you think what they're going to do with him? Are they going to execute him here? Or what? Um, I believe she finds out that um, her brother has been killed by Henry's men. So she decides to um, spit on Ash. Um, you know, that, that, I mean, that she, spit was disgusting. That was a proper loogie. That was, she did. You know, there, there she, was a lot of liquid she, there. She hocked a greenie on him, really. She did, <laughs> she and it was, um, 
Um, but I think he liked now? it. In, I, in, think, in... I think he asked her to. I think it was something he asked for. <laughs> um, that was go his thing. Go method. Just, go method. just really good. Just really gob on me. Just spit on me. <laughs> so, the, the, I mean, there was some. The, there's some funny things that happen. I don't know about you, but um, with Arthur and Henry fighting, it did feel a little bit Monty Python and the Holy Grail for me. Yeah, there was a little element of that. It was like, you know, if somebody um, was going to now make Game of Thrones for the Sci-Fi Channel, it felt very much like that's what was <laughs> going on there, like the North and and um, and and the Lannisters. There was a kind of there was some very bad haircuts and things going on, and uh, yeah, they, they it, gave him a full-on mullet, yeah, full-on redneck proper mullet, mullet yeah. Arthur. Yeah, yeah, with with a proper fringe and everything, didn't he? he had like the <laughs> full on fringe. Bowl cut mullet. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, no, you don't look silly enough yet. Give him a fringe as well. Um, and but, and it felt Henry very much like this. Go on, sorry. No, I was just no. Go on, you finish your your line of thought there. We're just. Both I, so I was going to say this. there's a, there's a uh, there's very much the English against the Scots feel as well. I don't know if you saw that. They're, they're kind of the Henry that's the Red exactly, felt very Scottish. That's a, yeah, that's felt very Adrian, Adrian, Hadrian's Wall kind of uh, a, a battle going on there. So there was there was undertones of all sorts speech, of things. Henry does this speech for Ash, and he said, "You know, I'm Henry the Red, Lord of the Highlands, and you know, you know, Keeper of the Mountains, and and all this kind of stuff." Um, and um, and Ash just doesn't look amused at all, does he? Um, he? He just doesn't seem to to care about to care about Henry the Red and his plight. Um, which was irrelevant information as the as the story progresses. It didn't it didn't even matter a jot of what Henry the Red is all about. <laughs> well, I mean, Henry does 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 help him. You know, he comes back. And there's a reason for Henry to be there. I think, uh, which we see at the end. But um, so the. Uh, the welcome so that the, they uh, the Merlin character uh, thinks that um, Ash might be the chosen one, so he's like, He might be the chosen one, and uh, but Arthur's like, No, fuck it, down in the pit. So, <laughs> decides the to, pit. and before he gets thrown in the pit, th- there was a troubling incident. Okay, they an, another of Henry's men gets thrown into the pit, and I mean, I'm no doctor, right? but if you get torn apart by a creature, um, it doesn't normally look like someone's spraying from a power washer with the like red dye. That's what if, that's what it looked like was coming out of the pit. The the best way I could explain this was if you had a um, red Capri Sun juice pocket and you stick the straw in and squeeze the straw. <laughs> And all and and no, sorry, squeeze the packet and all the juice comes out. Um, that that's the best way I put it. But I don't know whether you picked up on this, and I've, I've actually been dying to talk about this pit, right? And the inconsistency with the depth of this pit, because when they throw <laughs> the first guy in, he falls for ages, right? And then he splashes, <laughs> yep. and then. There's nothing, and all the crowds looking in, and you can't see him because it's pitch black. So it's such a deep pit. And then, as you as you mentioned, the 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 creature gets him, and this blood spurts out all over all over the. It's a you know, fine mist, floor. isn't it? It's not. It's not. There's no chunks. This is a fine mist that comes out <laughs> like pureed. Like this is pureed. Yeah. And then, um, 
naturally ash gets thrown down the pit, which then is only about three or four meters deep. Mm-hmm. And everyone maybe can see the other guy fell very, it. very, very slowly. Maybe he just went, <laughs> ah. yeah. I mean, I had a problem with this. I had a problem with the the pit doors opening, the big metal steel uh, lid that's on it, and the pulley and everything because. I don't think that was invented by then. Um, well, I mean, there were such things as portcullises, so the rudimentary engineering was probably uh, sufficient, but it did feel like it was very well constructed and very um, uh, substantial, more so than the uh, the rest of the castle, which was very easily uh broken into which we'll discuss later <laughs> I, I kind of felt sorry for the poor guy so one of henry's men uh freaks out and tries to run away he tries to outrun an arrow um and doesn't succeed um to the to the amusement of the crowd and stuff you know so um yeah. and henry doesn't seem bothered that his men are getting getting torn apart you know he does not seem to care at all no he doesn't give two shits does he really he's just like whatever <laughs> but rather them than me um, <laughs> but we're not here. We're not here for Henry. We're not here for for Arthur. We're here for Ash. We want to because Ash gets thrown into this pit, and uh, and everyone looks on, and then this horrible creature just pops out of nowhere and starts kind of attacking him. Um, which again, the way he gets the first guy and just kind of pulverizes him, and it's a very clumsy fight between him and Ash, isn't it? It, it really is. It's kind of. Um... Well, I think it's the proof that Ash isn't a real warrior. He's just a guy that works in a department store in the uh, in the homewares um, <laughs> section. Um, he's not a hero. He's not brave, and he's not valiant. He's just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. I um, could not disagree more, Steve. Have you? ever considered chopping off your own hand he chops off his own hand in the evil dead 2 Um, because his hand gets possessed yeah but it's that or end up like his girlfriends have done previously (laughs) so when he sees what the alternative is to not laughing as well he does it uh, laughing i (laughs) I think it's kind of at that point, there may be some mild mental trauma <laughs> ensuing. So the laughing is more of a, a coping mechanism with the sheer um, batshit craziness that is is ensuing as a result. So, so uh, most yeah, people put a hook surprised. on it. Most, yeah, most people put a hook or, or a sock over it or whatever. He creates. Are we still a talking chainsaw. about the yeah. hand now or what? <laughs> um, I love what he did. So the old Merlin magician guy drops the. Um, chainsaw and he does the biggest hero leap you've ever seen which Mm -hmm. I don't know about you when I watched it when I was Mm -hmm. you know like a a teen an early teenager when that came out and I saw him do that I cheered I would just because the way he did it he just bloop yeah and you, you know why I have a problem with this right so this is a direct continuation from the first film so mere hours ago he chopped off his hand and now he is thrusting the bloody stump into the base <laughs> of a falling chainsaw. That is going to be a little bit tender, and that's going to sting a bit as that goes into the uh, the fitting. You're going to wince a little bit. You might even whimper somewhat. So, um, yeah, for me, that felt a little disingenuous. But you know what? This film isn't about, <laughs> you know, 
being exactly perfect. It is very much a pantomimic romp through 90 odd minutes of pure joy. So um, <laughs> it could we'll not have been any we'll longer, though, could it? <laughs> they kept the timing of the film just right. I think if it had been just five minutes longer, it would have been absolutely awful um, <laughs> on that one as well. Now, I don't know if you noticed this. So just to add, um, just to add a bit more drama they decide to get the spikes out and start to, to close the spikes now again i've got to talk about the inconsistency of this cave one minute is massive and the next minute it's just a pit yeah. why didn't he run left into the massive opening of this cave to get away from the spike he just stayed well, in the middle of these six foot long spikes well there, there must have been because these creatures were living down there right so there must have been a place where they were where the spikes wouldn't kill them otherwise what would be the point? And also, the spikes were quite long, and I would use them as a rudimentary kind of ladder to climb <laughs> to up out. and out of the uh, well, of the he pit. He kind of does, doesn't he? He does, he does manage in the to end. climb out before, yeah. But I think I would have done that sooner than he than he did. Um, I'm assuming that I've not been transported back to medieval times. Um, and faced um, deadites in the pit, so I can't genuinely say what my uh, my true uh, true reaction would be at this point. Well, this is where it gets really interesting. So this is where it suddenly changes, and you you know I'm sure you you're going to make this point. He stops interacting with characters in a normal way, and everything that comes out of his mouth from this moment on. <laughs> Is a quip. It suddenly turns into like how many catchphrases and like you say, quips can we use? My entire script from now on is just going to be one liners that people will be quoting for the next 30 years. Well, as an aside, right, rather than waiting to the end to do this and then forgetting, I've written down a bunch of things he's said. Can I can I go through some of these just now, and then we can we can go back into the story. You know what you should do. You should do that and intersperse it with ones that aren't there, and I can guess which ones are real. Um, oh, that's pressure. <laughs> I only wrote the ones down. Let, let, let me no. go through this right because I wrote yeah, some of my favorite you just lines. Do the real down ones. It's more important. I, I, I did write some of my favorite favorite lines down, um, I'd, and whether you can agree whether they're a favorite line of yours, whether you like them. So one of my favorite lines is because some of these. I mean, some of the insults they they call each other as well. I think they're just making stuff up. One guy got called a pox brute. Um, never heard of that. Definitely going to use it, especially in the office. Um, <laughs> you, sir, are not one of my vassals, uh, was said by Henry the Red. Um, uh, one of my favourite lines in the whole film was, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. This is to Henry the Red just before he gets thrown into the pit. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading on but two things, Jack and shit, and Jack left town. <laughs> <laughs> when he said he was the leader of the Freeman or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and then when he gets out of the pit, he tends to another guy and says, you know your shoelace is untied. And the guy actually looks down, despite the fact yeah. that I don't think shoelaces have been invented yet. No, I mean, it wasn't until the 80s when Tom Cruise invented the, the flugel binder in cocktail that, that they truly came into their own, as far as I'm aware. So, yeah. no, I agree. I think it's, it's a strange one. This is my boomstick. 
Yes. Talking about his shotgun. Yep. Um, he says this to, uh, to Sheila. First you want to kill me, then you want to kiss me. Blow. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I mean, what was that a statement or an instruction? I don't know. It could have been both. Um, he says this to an old possessed lady. Yo, she bitch, let's go. <laughs> okay, the next one you'll get. So what is one of the biggest catchphrases that he's got? He does it in both movies. It's when he tools up. Um, I can't remember now. You put me on the spot here. I wasn't expecting a test. He says the word groovy. Yes. Yeah. Many, many um, time samples. <laughs> so he gets into a fight with Sheila um, and then decides to woo her with the line, give me some sugar, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, what's that you got on your face? Um, I think he says to a zombie, um, maybe I'm a Chinese jet pilot was another one of my lines where I think that's sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're all going, a, a what, 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 what? Because none of those things they would understand because they wouldn't understand what a, a Chinese person was and they also wouldn't understand what uh, a jet pilot was. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that's intentional, isn't it? That's the point. He's taking the piss. Well, he, go, he goes through a bit of a character arc here as well because uh, Sheila was, dost thou not love me? And he was like, well, that's just pillow talk, baby. <laughs> no, and he said it almost just like that. Um, yeah. And then I think what he said to his evil Ash, which we'll come on to, is buckle oh, yeah, up, yeah. bonehead, because you're going for a ride while he was mm-hmm. sitting on um, some kind of um, trajectory, wasn't he? He was, um, yeah, he was sitting on a, a catapult or something. Yeah. Um, and then two of my favorite lines towards the end of the film is he's just about to get into a fight with a with a with a possessed person whilst he's in the, whilst he's working in the department store and he just says names ash housewares well <laughs> while he gets a shotgun out and then the last line in the whole film hail to the king baby hail to the king baby absolutely so, so there you go that's the classic there is last a- line because you know, he's he's essentially um, crowned himself. He could have stayed in the past and become an actual king, but chose to go back and work in a supermarket. So, you know, that says a lot. Um, yeah, so back to the story a little bit then, to, 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 to take us back. So he, he manages to escape the pit and he's um, said, you know, they think, oh, yeah, maybe he is the chosen one that will save us from the dead eyes. Um and they ask him to go and get the book for him. And he's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to go and get this book. And they went, oh, without the book, we can't send you back to your time. So he's kind of like, yeah, all right, then I suppose so. Um, but he really doesn't give two shits about anybody but himself at this point in the movie. He's like, yeah, I'm not fussed. But well, it becomes it a bit anyway, slobby was- as well, because that scene where, where he, he kind of saves everyone and he somehow gets his shotgun back. Mm. Um, he's like chewing on grapes and there's women fanning him down and stuff and he's chewing on turkey legs and he's just like being a <laughs> general he, kind of he looks like he's, brute, isn't he? Well, he basically looks like uh, the archetypal uh, lord from one of those um, medieval dinner things you see if you do if you've ever been to like 
um, Florida or or in um, in Mallorca they have them, you know, where you go and they do some jousting and stuff, and you all eat a meal together. Uh, it felt very much like the the the, the uh, main actor in one of those. Um, like the cable guy, yeah. like the scene in the cable guy. Exactly like the scene in the cable guy. Um, so yeah, it, it was a bit a bit of a strange one, and he does he agrees to go and get the Necronomicon, and um, there were some very important instructions, which is key to this entire movie. <laughs> was to he had to repeat the words exactly when he picked up the Necronomicon. Can you remember the words he needed to say? Oh, um, Naratu. Nestu. Nestu. Veratu. Which is what he does. He coughs because he can't remember. Um, this is after uh, one of the books has tried to bite his hand off. Another one tried to suck his face off, which ends up elongating his face in in a strange rubber mask which again was was bizarre tried um, to suck out his face into another wormhole um mm. but you've jumped something so incredibly important i i, I know we kind of cover this the empty degree but I, we got to talk about that windmill scene that the, well the, absolutely and there's me the not windmill. remembering that but came before it um so yeah he um he he notices uh something on his shoulder and he lifts up his uh or pulls his shirt down and, and sees an eyeball on his shoulder now well, that would freak the shit out of me i know that's for certain so um, he he's now he, if you remember he builds a mechanical hand somehow with the blacksmith before yeah. his quest um and it's like this real strong you know um, i don't know how to describe well, it it's, it's like a terminator it's hand, isn't it, it? Well, yeah, because it's it's basically a, a gauntlet from a suit of armor that he's got these pistons in that that uh, are connected to you know the muscles in his arms. Sort of, you know, it's a pressure thing that when he, he squeezes it's a genius. his muscles, he, it's, could you it's do incredible. That? I, you could probably do it because you're you're very um, good with that and stuff. But, um, <laughs> not quite. Not quite. I couldn't do. Well, it. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. You know, and uh, or oh. try to explain it to the thirteenth. You know the twelfth, fourteenth century blacksmith. Um, yeah. But you're right. He goes into this windmill, and then he hears, he sees a mirror. Now, if anyone that's seen Evil Dead Two, um, you'll know that Ash had a problem with mirrors in that one because the possessed can, the demons can do something with the mirror. So he decides to smash the mirror, and what happens? Because his, his reflection is kind of giving him this evil look. Lots of little mini ashes jump out of the shards of this mirror. And start to torture him through the worst possible ways. And uh, let me go through how they torture him. So um, they they really I don't think anyone would uh, would survive very much. So they they stab him with a fork, bang his head, trip him up, burn his face in a hot place. They prise it off with a spatula. They put a nail in his foot. Uh, they slip him um, and knock him out. Um, and then they tie him up. One dives into his mouth. He then manages to break free and he drinks boiling hot water to kill it. Straight from so, a kettle, which you can't Straight go, from you... a kettle. And laughs Straight. at the same yeah. time. He he is laughing wow. and giggling. I mean, he's got a form there. He did that when he chopped his hand off, didn't he? So <laughs> I feel like there's some sadomasochism going on here. Um, and and we, do, are we really led to weird. believe 
Are we led to believe the one that jumped in him is actually the one that comes out of his shoulder? That is the one that comes out. So this is the the kind of eyeball, the really weird-looking eyeball in his shoulder. Um, yeah, so that, that kind of brings us to your point where then um, they do this crazy run through the forest where there's kind of four of them attached to each other. Um, two yeah. of them, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, they, <laughs> and they punch each other in the faces. So he's he's sort of separating eventually, isn't he? And there's, there's, they become Ash and Evil Ash. Um, and they look identical. Um, and, and a battle and a fight ensues. And there's, there's you know, uh, it's very slapstick and very comedic and very... And, and it basically culminates in Ash killing Evil Ash and chopping him up into bits. Well, he shoots him in the face at point-blank range with a shotgun. Yeah, I mean, that's going to do some damage, to be fair. <laughs> but um, it didn't, though. The weird thing is, it didn't seem to do that much damage because when his head's in the... He chops him up and he throws him into the grave and then Ash's head just kind of jumps out and he's like, don't... And he starts throwing mud in his face and winding him up. Um, yeah. But then the next time you see him as Evil Ash, he's all mutated and, and stuff, and it's like like he's decomposed within about twenty three minutes. And and the shotgun wound is back, yeah. So on his yeah. face, you can see his lower jaw is all disconnected and stuff. So yeah, it's a very very bizarre um, sort of timeline of events there. But uh, but one that's very important that when Mill seen and the whole Evil Ash bit does come back later on after he's and, and probably wouldn't have done if he'd got the words right in calling you know in uh, in his incantation to to get the necronomicon it would have basically stopped the dead from rising this if is, he'd done it properly so this is the bit where i need an explanation because this is the bit that i and again you know me, I question these things. I probably look a bit too deep into it. Firstly I had a real problem with the cemetery because gothic cemeteries did not exist back then. Oops, that was me <laughs> dropping my notes on the floor. I Secondly, thought you drop your wallet for a minute. Then. Sorry, <laughs> I live in Scotland. We don't have any money. Um, <laughs> secondly, not to, not to share. <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, the why do the dead want this book? I know it's to raise the army of the dead, but yeah. the. It looks like it's in a place where the dead is already at. I, I just couldn't understand. Do, do they need a body to do it? And if so, why can't they just possess a peasant and just go and get it? I think they couldn't. They couldn't take it. So what they have to do is have him release it, and then they can have it. Um, that that was part of the problem. But I think probably Evil Ash may have been able to do it. Um, but they which don't is why get he, it. They. They don't get it. He just gets the words wrong and raises the army of the dead because he never said the words to contain the army of the dead. No, but then Evil Ash goes to get it. And I have a feeling that Evil Ash, because he is part of Ash, has that, that small amount of humanity which allows him to read the book and, and pull it through. That's my assumption based on... <laughs> you know, I mean, we're trying to rationalise here a book about um, you know, uh, 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 the third sequel, the second sequel in a in a uh, movie trilogy. Um, there's not usually a lot of of sense to be made of these things, so I think we we just have to kind of go with the punches here a little bit. This is when it just completely fast forwards, though, isn't it? So much happens in like kind of twenty five minutes. It's um, the whole the whole arc of the film just takes on from here. Um, 
did did I enjoy? So there's a there's obviously a great influence of the Three Stooges, um, very much fo- so. on the following scenes, especially with all the skeleton hands coming out the ground and kind of yeah. you know punching him and and you know hitting him and what have you. Well, this is it, and it, again, this is this kind of a very similar. Um, you don't know what influence like the Lord of the Rings has had on this because obviously the the book I'm talking about, not the movie, because we know the movie <laughs> came after it. Before you make that comment, Michael, I know you might as well. Um, basically, um, the the rise, the pulling of the um, orcs from from the ground, the dead elves essentially, and what have you, the pulling, the raising of the um, the dead. It's a very similar scene to that with the skeletons. They're basically just. As soon as a skeleton is pulled out of the ground, is then handed a shovel to go and dig up more skeletons, um, and 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 to, to create this army of the dead that's that's then going to go after the book and bring evil back to the earth, re-establish the evil. Now it's funny you said that actually, because I did make a note during the big battle when they when they sieged the castle that it was very Helm's Deep. Um, yes. So I don't know. Maybe it did influence uh, Peter Jackson's trilogy, and he says, "You know what? I want to make it like Army of the Dead, um, <laughs> but but better, but good." The, um, um, Peter Peter Jackson had Elm's Deep, whereas uh, it felt very much like Raimi had uh, Balls Deep. Here, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so um, Ash gets back. Sheila gets kidnapped, as you do, uh, by a flying bat. But think. Yeah, it's it's an evil, basically an evil demon creature, isn't it? And and uh, I think because there's a bit of ash in him, he remembers her and knows that by turning her, that will really pish pish pish. That will really pish ash off. So he uh, he he basically snogs her with his deformed that is gaping yeah. mouth. That is not going to win the MTV Music Awards, is it, uh, for Best Kiss? Um, no, that, that I teethy, mean... He had no Toby, lips left. It... <laughs> yeah, Toby Maguire does not need to worry uh, about losing his title. Uh, it's definitely. the way he does it, though. He's got, like, kind of his chin is jutting out and stuff. Now, is that Bruce Campbell in makeup, or is that someone else? Because I couldn't quite... I, it's really difficult to tell. I think it should be Bruce Campbell in makeup, because, essentially... It was Bruce Campbell who was the character. I'm assuming Evil Ash was. We should have done our research and looked it up. Um, we probably should have done, but you know what? Who cares? I, the, I think the, well, I, I did. I, I did look at it. And if you look at the credits, because I, I was really interested to find out whether Sheila played Evil Sheila, because she does seem to change quite dramatically as uh, mm. Evil Possessed Sheila. And the they, they did play those characters, which... Again, for me, just that that for me saved it all because it did show a good good bit of range and stuff, and they were they were yeah, characterizing it, it different. And it showed that the makeup was pretty good as well for that. And maybe that maybe that was a little bit of an influence to why Daisy liked the movie. Maybe that makeup was uh, was enough to just sway her and just when do making it, yeah. her quick decision, that was uh, that was the one she chose. So, so well, I he, I personally loved and enjoyed the stop motions skeletons because it's not something you get now everything's cgi and and, and you know i know you'll you... make some comparisons no no and i yeah i mean we, you look at someone like harry house but it's very good it's very good cgi that they've they've used and the thing i really like about this style is 
how very otherworldly it seems and very inhuman. So it's it's very kind of doesn't feel earthly, which gives it a more a creepiness because it doesn't feel like there's a soul to these things. That's what makes it feel eviler. Bear in mind, as we've already discussed, this is the same year Jurassic Park came out. But you've got to remember that CGI was in its very they, they, early they, infancy. Uh, CGI, yeah, they, yeah, for a they, lot of they definitely they you know there was that. No, yeah yeah and and so this was the standard that was to be expected really of any kind of creature unless you were in a suit, which if you're uh, a skeleton, it's either going to be a puppet or a suit um, or stop motion, and I think it handled was handled really well, and I think. The interactions with the stop motion were very good. Uh, and I think it was funny. I mean, it, it was genuinely an enjoyable romp for me. Why were they all from Dorset and Cornwall, though? Why were all the skeletons talking like that? Well, maybe... Were evil maybe skeletons? Because I think the, the Camelot was supposed to be down that way, you know? So maybe that, that was it. Uh, maybe they felt that there was a piratey feel to it, which, again, would... would uh, because if you look at the way they behave, that is very sort of um, very much the way that like Pirates of the Caribbean, the pirates behave very similarly. There's that feeling of, of that naughtiness that the, the skeletons had that it took away from, you know, like it wasn't like the sort of Jason and the Argonauts or, or Clash of the Titans sort of skeletons where they were, um, they, they were just mindless creatures. These had character and and wants, needs, desires, and fears. You know, they were kind of rounded um, uh, individuals. Well, the one thing that travels with Ash, can you remember what goes with him, along with his shotgun, his hand? Uh, sorry, not his hand, his chainsaw, and himself. Well, his his car. Uh, his his car, car with a treasure trove of things in the boot. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure if it was his girlfriend who was the chemistry uh, major or if uh, if I imagined that, but he did seem to have just the right kind of textbooks in there to be enable him <laughs> to create some sort of arsenal of, uh, of weapons to fight off a dead army. Um, he has Mechanics and Chemicals 101, the two yeah. books in the back of his car, and then he trains the medieval folk up on how to battle with spears, how to make explosives, and in yeah. one day only, how to turn his car into a steam engine with a massive propeller on it. Yeah, it, it felt very much... There was a bit of a nod to brain dead there, I felt, that that, that kind of giant you know if, if anybody has ever seen brain dead and we're we're talking peter jackson again one of his early movies he used a lawnmower to kill zombies um and it felt very much like that with his rotating blades going around and killing the undead um but there was also the, the sense of that um it felt like his self-defense lessons by jane fonda was what he was using to um <laughs> to fight off the uh, the army of the undead at which point they probably just would have gone with a big sword and killed the, the humans. But, uh, you know, it's a movie, so <laughs> it's, it, well, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So we, this, is, this is where it becomes a little inconsistent for me because 
the effects are really, really ropey towards the end. So even when the fight in the sky, it's like they're throwing Halloween shop skeletons at them. They're just like, <laughs> that's what it felt like. Uh, like and I think and that's probably Halloween what they shop. did. Yeah, and I think that's what they did. And they almost... They almost do it on purpose, I think. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a very cheeky nod and a wink and going, look, guys, we haven't got a massive budget. We're going to do this. We're going to have fun. You know it's a prop. I know it's a prop. Just enjoy it, okay? Just use your imaginations and just enjoy it. And you know what? The comedy element element really helps in that situation, really pushes that bit of the story through, I think. I agree. Um and he wins. They win the day. And um, here's a question. So the, the, the book, so the reason why he went for the book in the first place is so he can get home because in the yep. passage of the books, there is a way for him to take some kind of ointment, um, take some kind of drink, which will wake him back in his own time, right? That's right, yeah. Why doesn't Sheila go with him? Well, he does offer to for her to come with him, doesn't she? Doesn't he? But she's she's like oh this is my time and now i am i need to stay here um i think if i if i've been possessed by a a demon i think i would be i'd be looking to get out of there to be honest with you but you know what maybe he didn't encourage her maybe he was like you know i mean i like you but you know you're kind of a holiday fling and when i get back i'm not so fussed and you know i want to still play the field you know, my last two girlfriends have died. I maybe don't want to commit so quickly. Um, that's possibly why. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, good, I mean, it's a good way of looking at it. I, th- I think his last two girlfriends were both called Linda and she's called mm. Sheila. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe he'd seen um, maybe seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and the, and the uh, uh, maybe the, um, the girlfriends, the... Um, the medieval girlfriends, they didn't want to go down the same route. So I have one last interesting fact to give you on this one. Um, go for it. What ending did you see when this came out? Um, so I saw the ending that we saw, which is he makes the he takes the potion. The next thing you know, he's back in normal times. He's working at the um, department store in the um, homewares department and then suddenly a deadite appears in the store um, and he fights and kills it, makes a quip and, and, and actually states that when they said, oh, well, you definitely got the incantation right this time, didn't you, because of that, um, because of what happened last time. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. So you realise he's he's done the same thing again. <laughs> you're kind of like, you're a dick now. You deserve this because you've been a dick. You made a mistake the first time, but you definitely wouldn't forget it the second time. You'd have written it down, you know? You could make a, uh, a steam-powered helicopter-type thing out of your car. You can fathom a pencil. Um, I, I, and that's what it, it just felt like. But that was the version I saw. Why did you see something different? So the version that we that I just watched was I've never seen that before. I've never seen that last scene in Homewares. The scene I'd seen before, scene I'd seen um, as a child was a different ending. So I don't know if you're aware of this. There was two endings made. I saw the original ending. This is the alternative one. 
And the studio execs obviously did their thing and they meddled and they felt that the alternative, oh, sorry, the original ending was too bleak. Do you want to know what the original ending was? Because I remember we were talking about this and I said, oh yeah, do you remember the end where he wakes up in the future and you looked at me like I was crazy. You were like, what? Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that was the ending. So the, the actual original ending was he's in his cave in his car and he's taking the drops mm-hmm. and he, there's, uh, he hears something like movement and like, like it kind of rock falls. Um, so he miscounts the amount of drops he's meant to take. He's meant to only take three. He miscounts, right. ends up taking four and then just right. going to sleep. And then he wakes up in his car and he's got his big beard and this long hair and stuff like that. And um, he, he, he crawls out of the cave and the whole world is on fire and it's just post-apocalyptic. Like the whole world has ended <laughs> and he just drops on his knees and he's like, no, no. And that's where it ends. Um, that's the ending I had seen and I had grown up with. So I'd never seen this one. And I think they tested it and audience didn't like it and said they wanted something a bit more upbeat. So they re-recorded. And this was like two months after they re-recorded that scene with Ash in Homewares. Because when you said that, I was like, no, I don't remember that. He wakes up in the future because they, of course, brought out a TV show on Netflix. And I Mm. was saying to you, I can't quite understand how he's got back from the future. Um, And And I was looking at you like you were crazy. crazy Yeah. As if so, what the yeah. hell is he going on about? Well, because that that post apocalyptic thing feels very much like they've missed, mixed up um, Back to the Future and Planet of the Apes. It feels like it's very <laughs> much borrowed from a combination of those two. You know, like the the, the the thingy in the cave and and all and all of that. So well, you can YouTube um, it. The clip is on YouTube um, if you want to see the, the version I'd seen. Um, I'm glad I've seen yeah. the new version. And actually, I quite like it better because it's yeah. got a few more quips in it, and it's got. Um, you know the, the girls hail to the king, and, baby. Hail to the king, which is probably the best line of of, of an ending um, that I've seen in in a while. To be honest with you, um, so that that was that. That was my last fact of the Evil Dead Three: Army of Darkness. <laughs> it did go on to make uh, I think two or three series of um, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah, again, and and um, very much keep it in keeping with that. Not quite as slapstick as that the series wasn't but it was um you know uh, followed a similar vein um but was but but was slightly more uh, grizzled in his older age uh, when he did it but you know it's bruce campbell and you've got to love bruce campbell so um you, you do steve and i've got to say it is a bad script because it is it is riddled with continuity issues it <laughs> doesn't really know what it's pitching at it doesn't really have an audience in mind um it's obviously going for cult status which it's achieved yeah but i don't i can't see any other actor being able to pull that film off in the world that bruce bruce campbell did. it's forgivable because of him i think uh, absolutely and i think it was let's not forget it was essentially at this point written by and for him as the Bruce Campbell show, uh, and it and it works, and you know what, thoroughly enjoyable. So, Mike, as always, we 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 like to do a little bit of a a, a rating on on these things. Um, so um, we're gonna say then today, could you give us a rating out of five? And I want you to do it in chainsaws. How many chainsaws, chainsaws out of five do you get? Okay. 
for nostalgia and for a um, palate cleanser after the last episode, <laughs> I'm going to give this three and a half chainsaws. Ooh, a fair, fair score. I think I <laughs> am slightly more nostalgic than you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the heady heights of four chainsaws. <gasps> Our highest four rated film chainsaws. yet so far. <laughs> An enjoyable romp. One for the boys, I think. Not really um, in general uh, a girls' movie, although it was um, one of our cast members. Uh, um, Daisy, who who recommended it. So, you know, sometimes these things can can happen that way. But you know what? A, a, a genuinely enjoyable film. So anybody who's listened to this and hasn't seen it, be sure to check it out. It's well worth uh, a watch. Um, as are many of the films made around this time. Um, be sure to, to check them out. Some real good romps in, um, in that period. Um, Mike? I guess it leaves nothing really more to say other than thank you everybody for listening. Um, and I'm going to leave the last words of today's episode to you. Hail to the King, baby. Bad Scripts was written and performed by Mike Garlier and Steve Jones, a Beach Tide production.